What is really real? Is the ground really here? That's Dr. Enderly, a chemistry professor at UC Davis. We say that objects like the ground are composed of molecules, and those molecules are composed of atoms. His students, like myself, like to call him Dr. E. And this audio is from his TED Talk. It's 99.9% .9 void space. So the ground seems solid, seems like it's here, but it's nearly 100% nothing. <laughs> you know, and I know that in pop culture, they like to tell you that you're significant and you're a somebody, but <laughs> in modern science, you're pretty much nothing. Not only is Dr. Enderly a scientist, but he's also a seminarian. He studies both science and faith. And here's what he has to say on the matter. Everybody has their own view of reality. You see, simply what I believe is that science and God, as I have understood them, go together. They're integrated. That's why I spoke with Dr. E, to have an open conversation surrounding modern science and religion. And maybe, just maybe, science and faith aren't so separate as they might seem. This is David from our Weekly Bread, and I hope you'll gain as much insight as I did from my conversation with Dr. Enderly. Enjoy. You're a churchgoer, am I right? Correct. Cool. In general, I found that people see that science is based on evidence and True. faith, yeah. or excuse me, and religion is based on faith. That's what True. I've heard it best. Yeah, 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 yeah. So to me, to, put it. to me, it seems you think that those two aren't so separate as they may seem, meaning science Correct. and religion. Correct. So where, what do they share and what do they differ? Uh, as far as your example goes, I think they would share both, though people don't like those words per okay. se. Right. Especially people on the science side. So I would say science is built on evidence. Mm -hmm. Based on that really data mm -hmm. and observations that we have, we make a model. Right. And that model describes a particular system or part of the universe. But that model may or may not be completely correct, mm -hmm. but we, whatever word you want to use, trust the model, accept the model, mm -hmm. uh, use it, whatever. But it's kind of in that genre of you know it's based on the evidence, but it is not in exact nature itself. Okay. And that's normal. You know, we have all kinds of models. I teach uh, lots of things in my chemistry classes that I know is not 100% true, but it fits well right. for us to do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And people would still use it now knowing that... It's partially false. Yeah, but we right. still believe in it. Yeah. If you're okay with that word and not everybody is. Right. But whatever right. word you want to substitute in there, mm -hmm. I, it doesn't bother me. And I think now on the faith side, faith can operate in different ways. So mm -hmm. there's for sure faith that can operate by blindly, meaning on no evidence you just adhere to something. Right. And I think that's not, I don't think faith has a corner market on that. Mm. I think you can see that in people's lives all the time in all sorts of areas. They just believe certain things blindly yeah. and there's no truth to it. Kind of like people are apprehensive of flying on an airplane versus driving the car even though you're statistically more likely to get in an accident in a car. That would be a great example. Yeah. yeah. And people, a lot of people are making fun of like politics now. Yeah. It can be in areas of health, mm -hmm. vaccinations, yeah. all Big sorts one. of areas that you could argue that. Okay. Uh, what I would argue 
is for a reasonable faith mm -hmm. in whatever faith category it is. That is, it should be built on evidence, though that evidence is not collected in the same way that scientific evidence is. In the same way, every field of study has its own methodology. Right. So science is different. Natural sciences would be different than psychology. Would be different than a court of law, and I think would be different than theology, hmm. which would be say history. All these things, how you demonstrate something is uh, reasonable would be different in all these categories. Okay. So you have to be okay with that, and then realize I think faith can, religions, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. can have reason to them. But you're still going to get to a point that you have to build a model on top of that. If you right. want to borrow a okay. science term, or in religion we would say you would have faith to act on your final decision. That okay. is, maybe I'm going to act on I believe in God. Okay. You could argue the same for an atheist. They have to build evidence, mm -hmm. whatever that is, to get to a certain point. But then to say that there's no God, that also has to be in the faith category. And the reason I say that is both theism and atheism is outside of empirical provability. Huh. So it is an assumption, and I don't have a problem with that, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't think people all should. The time in science. We do, yeah, all the time. All the time. Science, non-science. In your TED Talk, uh, you outlined three examples of how God essentially works within the bounds right. of nature, right? You right. did probability, Correct. omniscience, and omnipresence. God is described as omniscient, all-knowing, outside of time. Described as omnipresent, that is, everywhere present. And we wonder, how is this possible? So, we'll start with the first one. Okay. So, probability. Yeah. Pretty much everything has a probability. Whether it's the normal or the really unusual. Let me give you an example of one of those unusual things. There's actually a probability that a particle in the atom can leave the atom and at the same time violate the law of conservation of energy. Now, the law of conservation of energy says that energy is neither created nor destroyed. Yet, a particle in the atom, without having the energy to do so, and no available energy, can overcome an energy barrier and just leave. That's the weirdness of probability. Now, why is this interesting theologically? Well, theologically, we wondered, well, how can God act in these seemingly miraculous ways. What if there was a finite probability that God could act miraculously? And that's not impossible. There's a possibility that God doesn't overstep the bounds of science, but actually works within the bounds of nature and science. What do you mean when you say God works within the bounds of nature? Okay. One of the major issues that skeptics would have, which is reasonable, is that the, the idea of miracles. Right. Miracles, as most people define it, would be outside of nature. Mm -hmm. And so thus, what do you do with that? Yeah. And many would say, well, that can't exist. That's outside of science and outside of just how the universe operates, which I totally understand. Right. The believers on the other side would agree with the argument. Yes, it's supernatural. Mm -hmm. It's outside of nature by definition. But we believe it, you don't. That, would that's be one great. argument. Right. I and others, not just me and not just now, but throughout history, take another take on miracles. Mm -hmm. And I quoted St. Augustine in this. 
who alludes to this idea at least, that I don't think miracles are outside of nature. Mm -hmm. I think they operate within nature, and now with modern science, I can put a little more words to that. Right. I would say that they're low probability events. Mm -hmm. So with modern science, quantum chemistry, or physics, we say that every event has a probability, mm -hmm. whether high or, or extremely low. low. Yeah. Regardless of what that is, there's a probability associated with it, but it's not outside of nature. And for me, it makes sense mm -hmm. that why would God create nature, if you want to hypothesize that he exists, mm -hmm. and then on the side have a secret set of magical rules by which operate outside of nature that totally confuse us. So I think regardless of what it is, and I still would call it a miracle, mm -hmm. just like a low probability event. Right, and you talked about how those were like unexplainable phenomenon, like a particle, I think it was an electron escaping from um, an atom, yeah, they violating are, the conservation of energy. Yeah, there are plenty of, of examples. examples. What's another uh, one? I'm curious. Uh, that one was actually a particle, like an alpha particle would be the most classic, okay. which would be made of protons and neutrons, escaping the nucleus of an atom, okay. not having the energy to do so. Gotcha. And we put terms on that, like tunneling effect, right. <laughs> which we mean it's a low probability event that's hard to explain, mm -hmm. etc. And that lies within the realm of radioactivity. Okay. Physics student mm -hmm. came up to me after one of these presentations. Right. And he said, it's interesting that you talked about probability because in one of his classes, Wait, he was doing a calculation. What's the probability of putting his hand on the table and then pushing it through without harming the table or his hand? Right. And you can, according to him, I haven't done that, calculate <laughs> that kind of probability. Uh -huh. And that's just how unusual you know, modern science is with probability. Right. Yeah, so my counter to how can miracles happen, they're supernatural, mm -hmm. I would say you can call them whatever they want, but I think they're within the bounds of nature. You see, what I'm saying is this. If modern science tells us there's a probability for unusual activity happening, and we're okay with that, then we should not be as surprised that God could act and do miraculous things, and there's still a probability for that. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, for the omni omniscience portion, you mentioned, you, you explained how that is related to the theory of relativity. Right, right, right. Simply said, the faster an object goes, the more lag in time you'll have. Well, this idea can be expanded such that the faster you go, the slower time goes. And you know, at the speed of light, light travels so fast that time actually no longer progresses. Or we might say light is outside of time. Well, that's weird, I know, but that's the theory of relativity. Why is this interesting theologically? Well, theologically, we know that God describes himself and is described as light. And yet we wonder, how could God be omniscient? That is, outside of time and knowing all. In modern science, if it tells us that light can be outside of time, we should not be as surprised that God could be outside of time. Weird, I know, but let's keep going. <laughs> what did you mean when you said that God could exist outside of time? Okay, yeah. I mean, I was trying to describe a theological concept that right. God's outside of time, yet he knows past, present, and future. Okay. Right? And we believers kind of accept that. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's true. But it seems very mythical, otherworldly understandably so. Until modern science, we had no 
close analog to that action whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so I gave an example of relativity where light itself is is or can be outside of time. Okay. And so there's something else that we know that's totally outside of time, just like God is. It's not a a proof, but it's an interesting analogy Mm -hmm. that you can see like, okay, if that's true in science, then it's not that weird that God could operate in that way. Okay. And if you're within the Judeo-Christian worldview, Mm -hmm. at least, and maybe more, God describes himself as light. As light. Yeah. I don't think he's saying he's a photon, but, you know, (laughs) it's interesting in this analogy. Okay. Yeah. And then for the last part, you talked about omnipresence. Right, Which means existing everywhere. So I think you talked about entanglement in that portion. Uh If he can transcend distances, how is it also that he can exist everywhere if distance doesn't necessarily apply, is my question. Right. And I would pose the same to myself and other scientists. Right. How can... (laughs) particles, which is this the science side right. uh, of entanglement, exist either in two different states or affect each other. Mm-hmm. I saw a physics presentation where something was in two different places at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's different variations on this whole concept. So that you can be in two places at once, you're saying. <laughs> uh, Science-wise. Just... Uh, an entity can. <laughs> right, yeah, an entity, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's all kinds of fun, like, sci-fi connections right. to this that people made. Like, the, I think I give the example of Star Trek beaming right. me up. Mm-hmm. That's building on the idea of entanglement. Say you, had, say you have two particles, and if they're entangled or connected, a change in one will affect a change in another. Well, you think, no big deal. But the interesting thing is you can separate them more and more and more, and they can still be entangled. You see, distance doesn't seem to be a relevant factor. These two entities were separated by 143 kilometers. That's 88 miles. And they were still connected and interacting with each other. If God is here and he's interacting with people, and those people could be separated a distance from him all around the world, somehow he's doing that instantaneously all the time. This also seems weirdly similar to the idea of entanglement. What I'm saying is that if, in modern science, particles can interact with each other even while separated at a distance, we shouldn't be as surprised that God can interact with humans, again, separated with a distance and doing that instantaneously. The weird thing about quantum physics and quantum chemistry, we don't have explanations of how this happened. We're just telling you it's happening, Mm -hmm. and it just baffles the mind. And so even the science side, I don't have an answer for you. Or even if people give you an answer, it's not... It's concrete. Yeah, it's not the, oh, I'm so satisfied answer. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's still the mystery portion of it. Yeah, which doesn't mean that that science is outside of... It's not outside of nature. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong, anything like that. It's still scientific, still happening. Right. It's just because we don't exist in that subatomic particle world. Mm-hmm. And so it's just completely non-intuitive. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Where does science fit into certain explanations and where doesn't it? Like, yeah. I know you can't really import science into, like, describing love. Right, sure. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. So what's your take on that? Okay, so, I mean, it's funny that you give that example. I mean... I know psychologists 
will do experiments to see what part of the mind is uh, is activated during certain emotions and things like that. Where that will go, ultimately, I have no idea. Right. Maybe it will have a better explanation of sorts. Okay. I don't know. I'm just tossing that out there since you mentioned it. But it is, at the same time, you can say, oh, there's some mysteriousness to it. Mm -hmm. And science, modern science itself, tells us there's uncertainty within things. So uncertainty is a characteristic of the system. So how that would build into emotions, I have no idea. But we know that there's uncertainty, problems that cannot be solved. Uh, And there's examples in quantum subatomic areas about that. Right. To go back to your original question, science studies nature. There's assumptions within science. Studies, Studies nature. If you define God as being outside of nature, then it can't study by definition. Right. Yeah. And there's things that it seems like science can't empirically tackle. Worldview assumptions would be an example, or like the area of philosophy. (laughs) You know, how can science empirically measure things? That doesn't mean that philosophy is not reasonable, but it has its own method of proving things of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, or demonstrating something. Absolutely. So, like, the church oversaw faith and science. During the Renaissance, science began to integrate with faith, in a way, and now it seems to be more separate entities. Yeah, I mean, there's different things that were happening, but when science came became big, people historically were trying to decide, do I explain faith using scientific reason, mm-hmm. or do I uh, say, like, faith is this other... You know, there's faith, and then there's science, and they're right. more separated. And that, that started the debate, but now, in at least in pop culture, <laughs> modern time right now, it has become t- totally distinguished. Whereas if you would look at people like Isaac Newton mm-hmm. and people of his time, people were saying science to get to know how God operated more. And even Einstein, who didn't believe in kind of institutional religion per se, mm-hmm. has these interesting quotes about... Um, God and studying science and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So I also heard it been said that there are more scientists who have their PhDs that are theists, believers, than those who are not. That That's true. It, it, it's a poll. It's These a are poll. polls. Right. These are polls. So yeah. we can't like, and, get... Right. And, uh, so what do you think? Different polls describe different... Uh, give different statistics. Okay. But in general, it's what you said. Scientists who have PhDs compared to the general population in the U.S., are more likely to be believers in some sort of religion right. than the general population. And that's in the science category. Right, not in completely. The, right, not okay. in the other categories. Yes. So that's just an interesting factoid, regardless of what statistic you put with it. Mm-hmm. People generally agree, the pollsters generally agree with that. Okay. And that's been my experience uh, when I've joined, like, faith clubs or Christian mm-hmm. clubs amongst faculty, I right. tend to meet engineers and scientists. Gotcha. Uh, not because of who's invited, right. but it's just, just what happens. who shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. it's interesting. And there's other d- dynamics. Like I know in other fields, say, the social sciences, history, anthro, social, etc., sometimes there's even more heavy pressure on believers that they're ridiculous and what have you. Mm-hmm. Not always. But sometimes, or at least it's felt, and so they are less out there with their faith. Right. Yeah, okay. maybe compared to me, say. Okay. Yeah. This part's going to be 
little more conflicting in terms of like science and religion. Like okay, I'm two. ready to conflict. Yes. So um, <laughs> let me preface this by saying, while we should avoid putting science into religious texts, uh huh, right. I want to take a look at the Big Bang. Okay. Sure. Um, sure. So the origin in the universe is 14 billion years. Yeah, yeah, right? in that neighborhood. Uh -huh. And where do you see, and like the universe was created, and the heavens and earth were created in seven days, is what it says biblically. Okay, so, yeah, if you're in for the Genesis count, right. for sure. So, I know there's been this like talk of like what a day means. Right. I want to know what your take is on the Big Bang and how we measure time. Oh my. Okay, that's <laughs> a big question that has a response. Okay. There are multiple views on this, yeah, I for know. sure, and how people tackle it, and it has, even through history, people have tackled a little bit differently, and now with modern science, people are tackling it from that, like, science angle, for right. sure. Some people take Genesis as myth, Okay. so I won't tackle that one. Okay. Let's say you're Sounds taking good. it more as is, okay. on, on that side of the spectrum. There's theological responses, which I couldn't begin to, like, do all Outline. of them. I would just right. tell you one of my favorites okay. as described by Selhammer and, and others. And he basically argues this is an old thing. This is not just him. Mm -hmm. He says, well, let's take a look at what it says. It says, uh, you know, talk about God making the earth. And then he asks the question, what's the earth? Do you think the earth is capital E earth, mm -hmm. a.k.a. the planet? Or do you think the earth is really describing land, because land and earth in Hebrew, in that text, mm -hmm. was the same thing. Well, is it the planet or a land mass he's talking about? Well, if you think it's a land mass, what land mass is it? Okay. Or like, what area on the planet earth is he talking about? Gotcha. Theologically, and he goes through this whole argument that I couldn't go through right now, mm -hmm. within a reasonable time frame, he argues that that land that... God is talking about is Eden or aka the promised land being one and the same okay. and so if you take it up from that point of view there's still some issues there's issue with every theory right but if you take it from that point of view it totally sidesteps the science issue yeah because now <laughs> you're talking about God like as a master agriculturalist <laughs> preparing his like land for these two people Adam and Eve and ultimately his people. Okay. So then it kind of sidesteps that, and there's other theological arguments besides that one mm -hmm. that are interesting. I just happen to like that one. Okay. But it is representative of the idea for me that there's ways theologically to explain the days mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with the science argument. Okay. They're like working in parallel, but it's not talking about the planet Earth, say. Okay. It's talking about other things. That's one category is theological. Gotcha. Science side? The science side, yeah. So then there's different science ways that people take it, as you can imagine. One explanation that I like, though it's a little dated right now, mm -hmm. is one by Gerald Schroeder, and he explains it in his books. His whole idea is this. He also argues that rabbis and other people talk about the third day, and that mm -hmm. on the third day something really interesting happens. It says dry ground appeared, or dry land. Again, we're back to land, appeared. Yep. Now, if you consider that, and from a scientific view, the Earth, so right. now we're talking about capital E Earth capital in e, his yeah. view, then that's when the Earth's crust formed on the third day. Okay. Well, what's interesting about that is, 
We know days because on the end of each day in Genesis 1, it says, and there was evening and morning the first day, even morning the second day, etc. Okay. Well, from our point of view, there's only days when the earth rotates. True. And we see a sunrise and a sunset. Mm -hmm. So, we would ask, how is there a day on day one and day two if there's no earth Earth until day three? Okay. Now... Schroeder wasn't the first person to realize this. Mm-hmm. This was realized pre-modern science, pre-Newton, all those sort of things by rabbis. And uh-huh. this was like a thing they wondered. And their argument was, maybe there's two calendars in Genesis, pre-Adam and post-Adam calendar. Okay. But then they didn't do much more with it than that. And that's where Schroeder picked it up. And he argues, well, we have the same problem in science. Mm-hmm. We use Earth days, but the Earth is only about 4 billion years old or so. And if the universe is about 14 billion years, then there's 10 billion years without the Earth. That's the net difference, yeah. Yeah, but we're, yeah, the net difference between the Earth and the universe age. About 10 billion years of where no Earth existed, mm-hmm. but we're still pretty self-centered in using Earth time. So what time was this guy measuring? So, yeah, good. So what he did, and what physicists do, is there's, they use something called cosmic background radiation, and some people have termed a cosmic clock based on the energy left over from the Big Bang, since you've mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And based on that, the time is different according to Einstein and theory of relativity and all this stuff. I'm not right. going to yeah, talk about it all. About it, yeah. yeah, we'll pretend people know it or they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they listening to this. Whatever. Right. You can read his book if you're interested. So, uh, basically, you can calculate different calendars based on your point of view according to the theory of relativity. Okay. And one of these is the cosmic clock. Well, that's as far as a physicist might take it, you know, when they're fun, having fun and doing their calculations. Mm-hmm. Well, Schroeder picked that up and realized the cosmic clock, if we calculate that back, cosmic time, while well, Earth time has been about 14 billion years, mm-hmm. cosmic time has been only about a week. Hmm. And you're like, oh, it's been really slow. This is interesting. This is what, this sounds like that calendar that those right. old rabbis were talking about. And what he does is he maps each day what happens within Genesis to, and converts it over to the cosmic, uh, the earth clock time right. and kind of compares both. And on the third day it matches up. It matches up quite nicely with the earth coming in. Hmm. And so he does that really interesting read just trick it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. that it needs some updating. But that view, even if you don't like that one per se, right. is representative of the idea for me that there can be or are scientific explanations that can align with Genesis if you think it's talking about the planet. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. See, yeah. that like really sparked my curiosity. Yeah, yeah. And if you read those books, um, you know, they're pretty interesting. They're pretty interesting what people are doing, and again, those are not the only theories. Those are just some cool ones that, that spark my interest. And you mentioned how religion breathes deeper meaning uh, into scientific explanations, or mm-hmm. just having a deeper meaning component. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, so, enlighten me, if you will, uh, oh, on, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> on how science would be incomplete without deeper meaning. Oh, okay. Okay to give the caveat that I think there's many skeptics out there who would say, I have deeper meaning in my life. Right. I'm totally fine with that. I just think that doesn't come from science. Okay. That could come from a naturalistic philosophy, mm-hmm. which is not science, but is kind of built by analogy on science. Mm-hmm. 
So I understand that. I think that deeper meaning comes from God, so I'm working under the assumption that God exists, and the evidence built up for me makes sense that way. Of course, I am making what I would call a reasonable faith decision about God. Mm-hmm. But I think the science in and of itself is just making observations and models about the world. Right. And that's it. It's not going to tell you who to marry, what socks to wear, <laughs> you know, or what a lot of people feel like there's something deeper in life or there's a deeper spirituality or meaning out there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you all that stuff. But I think when I found God, seeing God and science both kind of working together, at least in parallel if you want, mm-hmm. gives me a larger view of the world. And I gave, in one of my things I gave an example of a sunset. Right. Like a sunset can have a scientific explanation. Also, you could say, hey, this is, this is beautiful. This describes God's artistry, if you believe in God. Mm-hmm. You know? okay. And so that is one example of many where uh, I would have a bigger view on things. Again, not to say a skeptic couldn't have that, but again, the skeptic is landing on the assumption that God doesn't exist. I'm landing on the assumption that God does exist. Mm-hmm. And... I happen to think that my theistic worldview uh, makes more sense of the world than other worldviews. Okay. Yeah. The University of California, I think specifically Davis says, let there be light yeah. in the uh-huh. seal. It's, it's seal motto, yeah. What's your take on that? Well, I think that came because universities used to be somewhat religious institutions right. were completely religious uh-huh. and then became more what we call secular now. But And they've kept that, but they, I, I think, intend more of an academic enlightenment, where I still uh, intend a complete enlightenment. Right, okay. Well, I use the word complete, a holistic kind cool. of view on the world. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, Dr. E. Yeah, no problem. Really appreciate your yeah, time. Yeah, nice chatting. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You see, we actually need both the science explanation and the deeper meaning explanation to get the fuller picture of reality. Each answer is incomplete without the other and really insufficient without the other. And it causes us to have a smaller understanding of what the reality is. Maybe we're missing out on something. Maybe we need to work towards a reality that's a little bit bigger than that. So I ask you, what is really real?